This is the EdSurge podcast for the week of February 4th. We bring you the EdTech leading news and opinion that you love from EdSurge, but on the go. Each week on the show, we bring you the top stories from EdSurge News. It's all geared towards educators, entrepreneurs, and investors, and all right on your favorite device. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast. I'm Michael Winters, manager of the EdSurge Index and of our Tech for Schools Summits. And I'm Mary Jo Matta, associate editor, writer, and project manager. And we'd like to start this week with a big shout out and a huge thank you to everyone who listened to last week's inaugural podcast. And an especially big thank you to everyone who gave us feedback on that podcast. There was some fantastic constructive feedback submitted, and please know that we hear you. Even if we haven't fixed it already, we are working on it, we promise. And believe us when we say that we also really wish that we could be this American life overnight. Wouldn't that be nice? Yes, it's, it was. It's times like these right now, I wish I had an Ira Glass impression to break out. I think you could probably put that together. Check back in next week, maybe we'll have one. Okay. All right, enough with this jocular repartee, let's get started. We've all heard of the potential miracle of blended learning, but very few of us have seen it work in practice. Four years ago, Liz Arney was also a skeptic. She believed that students needed to be taught individually, but she was dubious of technology's ability to improve student achievement. In an article this week, Arney lays out her journey to belief in the power of tech to improve blended learning. If your school is blended, or if you're interested in going blended, you might want to check it out. And if you want more information, Arnie and her employer, Aspire Public Schools, have published a new book with all of the good details, and it's called Go Blended, a handbook for blending technology in schools. Now, if you've spent any time around EdTech in the past couple of years, you've probably heard of Mm micro-credentials. These are badges or certifications that demonstrate skills the bearer has learned. Over at the Digital Promise Educator and Workforce Micro-Credentials Summit on January 30th, attendees came together to discuss items like badges and how to improve their value. The emerging themes included the acknowledgement of learners' autonomy, the necessity of communication between badging platforms, and the importance of the process of earning the credential, not just the end. By the end of the conference, it was clear, whatever your thoughts on them, micro-credentials are here to stay. Another thing it looks like is here to stay is a bunch of companies, at least for a little while, and we had a whole lot of kachings this week. Social Finance raised an astounding $200 million to expand its student loans. Experiential learning company Koru raised an $8 million Series A, and Blackboard acquired Schoolwires. Now, Schoolwires provides web hosting and content management tools to more than 11 million users across 1,700 districts and school organizations in both the United States and in China. Blackboard says the deal, quote, will further establish our position as a leading provider of school websites and parent notification solutions, end quote. All right, pop quiz time. Name an organization that has shared hundreds of thousands of pieces of educational content, all available for free to teachers. Mm, The first one that comes to mind is Share My Lesson. Oh, uh, yes, that's also true. Okay. Uh, But the answer that I was actually looking for was TES Global. There we go. That's okay, though, because... 
TES Global is the London-based publisher that actually partnered with the American Federation of Teachers to create Share My Lesson. And last week, TES announced that it has a new chief executive, Rob Grimshaw, who joined TES in November after 16 years at the Financial Times. Now, TES has changed a lot in the past couple of years. It's acquired other companies, and it has launched TES Labs. But in the future, TES hopes to expand further in the United States and make changes to its UK site, allowing contributing teachers to charge for their resources if they want to. Speaking to our CEO, Betsy Corcoran, Grimshaw said, quote, I felt that digital disruption was starting to impact the education world and that I could bring relevant experience to that change. Well, he's certainly right that digital is disrupting the classroom. Yes, he is. That being said, it seems a little bit odd to me, though, to have someone who once ran a newspaper being the guy expanding an education company into the United States. Yeah, so I thought that too at first, but you know, the more I thought about it, the more I think there's actually a bunch of parallels between a site like TES and a site like Share My Lesson. So think about it for a sec. Both sites have a, a plentiful digital resource that's contributed from the outside world into the company. So at Financial Times, that's the news. At TES or at Share My Lesson, that's other teachers' digital content. And in both cases, that digital resource is something that has been available for free or that other people believe should be available for free. So the, the challenge is the same. How do you sustain a company on that type of resource that people are used to getting for free. So does that mean then that TES is going to start charging for all of its materials? No, it it doesn't. So Grimshaw makes it pretty clear in the article that everything that's currently on the TES site will still be available for free in the future. Mm. But on top of that, they'll be adding another paid version as well. It's basically going to be a freemium model. Right. That'll be interesting. I'm curious to see how a big company like TES Global performs in the U.S. education market. Yeah. The interesting thing, I think, is TES and the American Federation of Teachers are really closely aligned. Mm -hmm. And so if this freemium model works in the U.K. on TES's site, is it something that we might see Share My Lesson adopt in the future as well? So basically, for all you listeners out there, we recommend keeping an eye on TES Global because we could be seeing some pretty big growth from them in the United States in the future. Or just keep reading Ed Surge. We'll keep an eye on it for you. That too. We can go with that too. <laughs> now, you might have heard of the anonymous messaging app Yik Yak, which took the EdTech funding world by storm in 2014. Yik Yak raised over $73 million in three separate funding rounds. Now, Yik Yak allows anyone to post an anonymous message, and only people who are geographically close to the poster can see it. But the company's growth has been met with some increasing concerns about cyberbullying and how Yik Yak might actually be contributing to that. Campuses like Clemson University are actually considering restrictions on the application's use on campus. So Yik Yak is a company that I'm, I'm skeptical about. And here's, here's the reason why. I was in college when a very similar product called Juicy Campus was popular and then was shut down. There was a lot of negativity on Juicy Campus and a lot of what I personally considered to be cyberbullying on that site. And, and I was glad when it shut down. The interesting thing about, about that is that Juicy Campus shut down because it ran out of money. It never figured out a way to really make money. Yik Yak doesn't seem to have that problem. No. They've got <laughs> 70, over $70 million in the bank just from, from this year. Um, so it seems like, for better or for worse, you know how I feel about They're it, Yik Yak around. might be around for a while. 
And actually, in that sense, maybe it's less about trying to get rid of Yik Yak entirely, but meeting it and playing it at its own game. Hmm. So take, for example, we were reading about this. In December, professors at Colgate University were so fed up with racist comments showing up on Yik Yak Hmm. that they flooded it with positive messages. And they were getting students to do things by, you know, encouraging them. They were encouraging them to get sleep during finals. And they used their actual names when they were posting. But it was positive, so people were happy to see it. So for people at universities who are struggling with the Yik Yak issue right now, taking a page out of Colgate's book might actually be a good idea. Because if you can't get rid of Yik Yak, maybe turn it into a positive as opposed to a negative. Sounds like a great idea to me. We'll see. Well, on to... Happier news items. How about a cool tool for the math teachers out there? So if you're looking to help your students understand adding up dollars and cents without actually spending any money yourself, the nonprofit CK12 Foundation this week launched its latest free interactive math practice problems and videos for K5 classrooms. Used in more than 30,000 schools worldwide, this platform now offers problems and videos for concepts including addition and subtraction, multiplication and division, and my favorite, fractions. You know, what I actually like about this tool is that the CK12 platform includes a space for the educator to create her own content alongside these videos. Yeah, I was actually pretty excited when I saw that because the idea of having these videos already embedded, but then you can upload quizzes and assignments on top of that just creates a lot of different options for teachers. And I could see people who are fans of flipped learning using this. On that note, we actually had a really popular article this week in our Instruct newsletter that came from Oklahoma educator Scott Hasselwood. He talks about an in-depth walkthrough through flipped learning and differentiates between the basic ingredients for flipped learning, like good recording equipment, and the toppings like those that are on a pizza. So toppings would include places to host the video and picking the right LMS to share the video with your students. I personally loved his suggestion about posting the video on Edmodo and then having students post comments underneath it. So it sort of creates a discussion board. I actually could potentially see using his article in tandem with the CK12 platform and taking what CK12 has released and using Hasselwood's different suggestions. That could be super interesting. So a suggestion for all you math teachers out there. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're going to end this week. Our last article is going to be something very difficult. (laughs) We are going to describe to you, the listener, in audio only, our graph of the week. Oh my goodness, why are we doing this? Because the graph of the week was really popular this week. Okay. So here's what happened. We were sitting around the office and wondered... Where is the average teacher's salary the highest? So it turns out a quick search on Google can get you that data from the National Center for Education Statistics. Hmm. And the average public school teacher is paid most in New York, Massachusetts, and Connecticut, and paid least in South Dakota, Mississippi, and Oklahoma. Okay, but that doesn't take into account the fact that it's way, way more expensive to live in a place like Massachusetts than in Mississippi, for example. Exactly, exactly. So that's what this graph of the week is all about. Now, if you factor in how much more or less expensive it is to live in each state, the list of the best and least best states look pretty different than just the straight data. So it turns out that in real terms, the states where teachers' salaries go furthest are Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. 
And the three states at the bottom of that list are Hawaii, South Dakota, and Vermont. All right, go Midwest. Yeah. I never would have thought that Michigan teachers would have been the highest paid. I, I was surprised by that, too. Literally. And I want to make clear, though, one caveat to this data is that the cost of living data that we used does not account for variations within a single state. So the numbers aren't 100% accurate, but if you're a teacher and you're looking to move to teach in a new state and you're primarily concerned with salary, this would give you a good idea of where to start. That variation piece actually is interesting, especially in a state such as California, where we're located. Right. Um, a friend of mine works for Oakland USD, and it's interesting to see that a first-year teacher in Oakland makes $30,000 to start out. Hmm. But if you travel south to San Jose, that number nearly doubles. So when thinking about these different salaries, keep in mind that there is variation among each state, but you might end up getting paid more if you move to Michigan over somewhere else. We shall see. All right. Well, that's all the time we've got for today. Big thank you to Liz Arney, Scott Hasselwood, and all of the other writers who contributed to Ed Surge this week. And as always, an enthusiastic amount of thanks to all of you for listening and for reading Ed Surge. And this week, we're really excited because we have just opened up applications for two Tech for School summits. First up, our Los Angeles summit will take place on April 24th and 25th. I'm really excited about that because I used to teach in LA. And our Boston summit, which has been co-sponsored by Learn Launch, is happening June 24th and 25th. So if you're an entrepreneur, you can apply to both events right now. Now, now, do yeah, it now. that's right. Yep. Do it now. Michael's very excited. Or if you're an educator, you can register for free to attend. So head on over to edsurge.com summits for all the information. All right, that's it for today. I'm Michael Winters. And I am Mary Jamata, and we will see you all next week. This is the Ed Surge Podcast.